This episode of Code Story is sponsored by Ladder. Ladder was founded by LeBron James and Arnold Schwarzenegger to change the way supplements are made. They worked with the top scientists to formulate a line of clean performance products. Unlike other supplements, every batch is tested by a third party to verify the highest standards for quality and safety. We all know what a tremendous athlete LeBron is, and Arnold, no explanation needed. If they back it, you know it's got to be good. Ladder's goal is to help you unlock your best in any situation. Right now, that means access to special offers and expert advice from their community. Use code BETTEREVERYDAY, all one word, all caps, for 30% off everything site-wide at ladder.sport. That's BETTEREVERYDAY, all caps, all one word, for 30% off at ladder.sport. Each delivery time is now refined based on the observations that we have from deliveries of yesterday and the day before. That means the system itself and the delivery accuracy becomes day by day better purely by new operational data. There's no software change, it's pure feedback from data into our operation systems that make it day by day better. And this is the third stage where we are now, which is a kind of a self-learning and self-optimizing loop for most of the systems across especially the operational supply chain from purchasing front-door delivery. I'm Daniel Gebler, CTO of Picnic. This is Code Story, a podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Labhart, and today, how Daniel Giebler built the tech behind the online supermarket, revolutionizing the last mile. All this and more on Code Story. A resident of Amsterdam, Daniel Giebler found his way into tech through an artistic route, through creating demos, combining visuals and music through technology. A husband and a dad of two, he enjoys rock climbing, but mostly bouldering indoors, though he loves to get out in the trees with his friends when he can. After leading R&D at Fred Hopper, he took several years to do research on large-scale systems. Coming out of his research in 2015, he joined Picnic, the online supermarket delivering groceries directly to your home, free of charge. If you build an online retailer, then there's a lot of stuff to build. So on the one hand, uh, you need to have an app where where customers can place order, but you also have to have systems where you can buy products from suppliers, where you can warehouse management, where you can make route planning, people management, payment, HR planning, all kinds of uh, different tools. In an early stage, when you build an MVP, you have very limited resources and you certainly can't build all this stuff. So we did it very simple. We built only our consumer proposition, meaning our shopping app. And everything else was a very simple pen and paper or a Google Sheet solution, which uh, got us started. And that meant that we could have a proof of demand where we see uh, where we could see if customers like what we do and uh, made the fulfillment and the logistics on a pure pen and paper approach. And at some point we saw, well, there's a lot of customers that really like the service. Now need, we need to scale up the systems. And then one by one, we moved this pen and paper or spreadsheet-based solutions into actual real products where we had a full-scale buying solution, a full-scale warehouse management solution, a full-scale route planning solution, etc. That's very cool. So you started out 
in an unconstrained model, essentially. You pen, paper, spreadsheet, and then you figured out what people really needed before you built it. Is that true? That's absolutely true. And we did one more step. We actually started in steel mode. So that means we didn't know exactly, will customers like what we have thought about? Will customers really love our proposition? So we started a mode where we had an unbranded launch. We just shared our idea, our proposition to customers and looked, what will customers like? And then we saw that customers started to really start ordering with us without any real brand, without any uh, benefit of uh, kind of a big retail corporate. We got started that customers really placed orders with us. And that is something what we built until the uh, scale of a couple of hundred orders on a weekly basis. Then we felt comfortable that we can make a public launch. And that was the moment where we said, well, uh, now we need to make a little bit of PR. We just invited a few agencies and then they started to uh, report about this. And uh, we saw in the next stage, basically the entire country subscribed to the service. And then we had the reality, we had just a few cars, while actually tens of thousands of customers subscribed to the service. Now we quickly needed to build a tool that allowed us to manage which customers can actually immediately place an order and which customers are placed at a little bit of a later stage in order. And that is something what we call the waiting list, where customers then cannot immediately enter the shop, but one by one we let them into the shop so that they can place an order. That's excellent. So let's dig into the MVP a little bit. Tell me about the tools that you use to bring it to life. So you mentioned an app, you mentioned a digital platform. You know, what sort of software frameworks did you use to start building the next model, the MVP? So on the uh, mobile shopping side, we uh, thought a bit about, can we, should we build a web shop? Should we build an app? If you build an app, should it be a native app or is it one of these hybrid apps? So what we saw is web is declining, app traffic is increasing. So we had only money for one platform. So therefore we moved to uh, an app approach. And at a later stage, we also realized that it was pretty smart and I will get a bit into this later. And uh, for the app solution, uh, we first looked into maybe hybrid solutions, but then we learned from uh, the Facebook experience, where it tried also with HTML5 to build up a hybrid solution that this is not the smartest approach. So we built native iOS and Android apps. So what we realized at a later stage is that building an app itself is convenient for customers for two reasons. Number one is you can place the app whenever, wherever you like. And the second thing is you can actually mimic in all behaviors that all customers have in the app. In the old behaviors said for especially food shopping, most customers have a small sticky note on their fridge. And the sticky note simply says, the next time when I need to go for shopping, I need to buy milk and I need to build uh, butter or uh, cheese. And that is a list that uh, is built incrementally whenever you run low on a product. This is something what in essence, most of the customers are doing when they're building up their shopping list, just incrementally whenever you run low on a product. We see now that the same behavior is mimicked in the app itself, where customers are opening the app adding a product to the basket and close again the app. This is a very different shopping behavior than what you see for non-food. If you buy electronics, then you just open the app, you compare, for instance, all different variants of an iPad or an iPhone, and then you press the buy button and then you become happy. With food, where you buy not only two or three items, but you buy 30 items, you build incrementally the list. So you build maybe first diary products and then meat products and later you have uh, more the kind of special weekend products. 
And that is something what we now can model with the app, which would not be possible or or web interface. So what decisions and trade-offs did you have to make in the short term when building that MVP? You mentioned some of them, deciding to go native over hybrid, which makes a lot of sense, especially the type of app you're building. But what other decisions did you have to make in the short term as far as, you know, perhaps taking on technical debt or limiting features? Kind of talk through that a little bit. So in such a business where you have a huge amount of consumer demand, the key decisions that you have to make is for all kinds of new services that you want to offer or the new scale that you want to achieve is, do you build immediately a large-scale solution or do you build incrementally your scalable solutions up? And that has been a, an ongoing debate if you immediately build a solution or a feature for the scale of a couple of million customers or do we go incrementally build just an MVP for a thousand customers, then maybe for 10,000, then for 100,000 customers. And this kind of uh, balance between building MVPs and building scalable solutions has, uh, is one of the key trade-offs and key decisions to be made. The other bigger trade-off decisions that uh, we had to make was the make, make versus buy. And make versus buy was a, is a decision where we very carefully thought about which systems are mission critical and which uh, systems or which services can we take from a third party. Let me give you an example. We started very early on, not only uh, to build our app, but also the route planning. Because the model that we have, our last mile model, is a unique milkman-based distribution model, which we wanted and we needed to build ourselves. There's simply no solution on the market that can fulfill this. On the other hand, there are pretty standard warehouse management solutions, which we could actually in the beginning use as a standard off-the-shelf solution. At the later stage, where we are now, we are really looking more and more in robotic automation. We are now insourcing this entire technology stack to build also fulfillment, and especially robotic and automated fulfillment ourselves. So these are the key decisions that we had to make on our way. If you're talking about the trade of speed versus quality, or maybe business needs versus technology depth, this is an ongoing debate and a trade-off that uh, we had a lot of debate about it. And the way how we solve it and how we solve this dilemma in our case is that we are defining an underlying metric model where we can assess every proposal, even if it's a business proposal or a tech initiative, on the same type of metrics. And every tech and business uh, initiative need to contribute to the same metric model. Let me give you an example. Tech initiatives are usually not directly enabling new consumer features. However, they contribute to the time to market or they contribute to a defect density or they contribute to uh, the uptime. So therefore we are expressing all those kind of uh, contributions of technical initiatives also in business value and therefore make tech initiatives and business initiatives uh, comparable. And that is a much better approach than the classical half-half or 80-20 type of split between business and tech initiatives. Payoff.com is a paying sponsor of the Code Story podcast. You've tried balance transfers and budgeting, but high interest rates and unrelenting bill cycles make it almost impossible to get out of credit card debt on your own. Instead of another new savings technique, you need a clear path out of debt. And that's what a payoff loan can do. A payoff loan is a personal loan backed by member-centric credit unions designed to help you pay off your credit cards with rates as low as 5.99% APR and loan amounts up to $35,000 with no hidden fees 
and personal customer service support from Payoff to help you reach your financial goals. Some of the benefits of a Payoff loan may also include potential credit score boost, one monthly payment, and savings from lower interest rates. Go to payoff.com slash code story to learn more. Checking loan rates won't affect your credit score. Try something new. Pay off your credit card debt with Payoff. NMLS ID 1396805. Not all applicants may qualify. Loans only available within the United States. Loan is not available in all states. Payoff works with lending partners who originate the loans. Additional terms, conditions, and eligibility requirements may apply. More information is available at payoff.com slash code story. This message is brought to you by RIMS, the Risk Management Society. RIMS is a global organization dedicated to the profession of risk management. For nearly 60 years, RIMS has delivered the latest strategies and resources that allow risk professionals to grow, innovate, and succeed in any business. RIMS works with industry leaders to produce content and online training that business professionals turn to. Topics include business continuity, cyber risk, risk management techniques, the fundamentals of insurance, and more. There's also a private, members-only site where people can discuss sensitive issues and get honest answers. Members have been leaning on each other as we all navigate the global pandemic. If you're concerned about the safety of your employees and the sustainability of your organization, you need the resources and connections RIMS provides. Learn more at go.rims.org slash codestory. You can save 25% off a year-long membership. Again, that's go.rims.org slash codestory. How have you progressed the product past the MVP? Walk me through the maturation process of the product past that first initial software version. So we started uh, first consumer app and uh, all the features around it, and that went also in a couple of stages. So we started, for instance, uh, just with the plain shopping application where you have a catalog and then now you have a search functionality. At the later stage, we added one functionality that we saw as maybe a nice and nice to have feature, which is the past purchases page. So you can look up what did you buy the last week. This is a feature which became similar to Facebook's timeline, one of the most used features. Because customers are actually not building up a shopping list from scratch, but they are building up a shopping list by looking what did they buy the last week and then filter out what they don't want this week and then think about what they additionally want this week. So this is on the consumer side. On the logistical side, we went in three steps. And the first step is building up a first version of each product in-house as a native application, for instance, for the purchasing application, for the warehouse management, for the logistical planning, but also for the driver app. The next step is building very deep analytics around all those applications, meaning that we can both on real time, but also on a reporting basis, understand what is really happening on the operational angles and therefore do on a day-by-day analysis about how do we do on a different operational metrics. The third one is building a feedback loop from this analytics back to the product itself to in an incremental way to improve the product. Let me give you an example. If you are making route planning, then we are planning our routes based on a couple of criteria. But the most simple criteria is you want to have the shortest route in an available time window and in an available capacity of the vehicle. However, there are parameters that you need to understand over time how long it takes. And one of the parameters is for each customer, you need to understand how long does a stop take. And there are parameters like 
how far is the customer from the street or the door of the customer from the street? Is the customer living in the second or the first floor? Is the customer uh, young or old? Is the customer living uh, with a family? Is it day or nighttime delivery? So over time, we understood step by step each of those kind of aspects. What, how does it contribute to the stop time and to the delivery times? And now in an incremental manner, each delivery time is now refined based on the observations that we have from deliveries of yesterday and the day before. That means the system itself and the delivery accuracy becomes day by day better purely by new operational data. There's no software change, it's pure feedback from data into our operation systems that make it day by day better. And this is the third stage where we are now, which is kind of a self-learning and self-optimizing loop for most of the systems across especially the operational supply chain from purchasing pronto delivery. How do you go about building your roadmap and deciding what is the next most important thing to build in the product? We started Picnic by defining autonomous independent teams. And for the first two or three years, the teams have been completely autonomous, running based on overarching business objectives and business goals. They are different product lines. What we realized after being three years in is that we need a little bit more high-level objectives, high-level target setting. And then we tried to make an annual planning, but annual planning is something which is way too far down the road if you think about such a fast-moving business as we are in. And the business itself is characterized by online delivery in food, and this is just moving way, way faster than what you can handle in one-year planning. So what we now do is we do quarterly planning where we are aligning especially the cross-product initiatives, meaning all those development initiatives that are between the different products we are aligning and then leave the prioritization to the products itself. The products themselves are uh, defining their back or prioritizing their backlogs based on uh, uh, objectives and key results that they define on an annual level. And there, uh, there is just a kind of weekly and a bi-weekly cycle, how they define what becomes the workload and what is the backlog and what comes next. And on a quarterly basis, reviewing the objectives and the key results that the team sets for themselves. You mentioned team. So tell me about how you build your team, how you built it. What, what did you look for in these people to deem them the winning horses, the people that should join Picnic and carry the banner for what you're building? So we started at the team where we basically looked for a team that is the right team to build the very first version of the product. And that was a team with whom I have been working earlier together in another business. We just hired those guys together. We knew each other pretty well and we knew that with this team we can build the very first version. This had one disadvantage because the team was not diverse enough. It didn't reflect all aspects that you want at a, at, at a scalable team. So therefore, after a couple of months, we looked more actively into uh, which kind of additional profiles do we need. And then we looked explicitly for, for engineers that have a strong engineer, uh, strong architect angle, uh, somebody who has been very strong on the mobile development side, who understands also the kind of alternatives uh, to the current mobile stack, somebody who is very strong on the SRE side, somebody who can lead on the people side. We identified the white spots in the team and then we uh, filled step-by-step step, uh, those white spots. And this is the way how we have built the team from initially just five engineers to now a little bit more than 100 engineers. And we are organized now in product teams. 
and the product teams themselves now define uh, what are the profiles that they need. So they make a self-analysis and self-assessment. What are the right spots in their team from both the hard skill and the soft skill side? And that defines also our recruitment and hiring plans uh, going forward. Very good. Let's talk about scalability a little bit. Did you build this in the beginning to scale efficiently or were you fighting this as you grew? So there are two angles uh, to this question. On the one hand, we knew that some of the core elements need to build from day one in a scalable manner. And this is essentially the uh, planning and the master planning backbone where we connect all the pieces from our supply chain in a master planning process that runs once per day. This is something what we have built up on day one in a way that it can handle tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of orders on a single day. On the other hand, there are a lot of components that we build from a very MVP, very M, <laughs> so MMVP way, uh, going forward to an MVP, to a first version, to a, a kind of scalable version. An example for this is our warehouse management system, our purchase order management, also a lot of uh, consumer-related features that we build from uh, an MVP-based uh, implementation until the full-scale solution. At the state where we are now, with roughly half a million active customers in Netherlands, we can no longer work, or we are not completely working in this MVP-based approach. What we are now doing is we are usually implementing MVPs that we are launching to just a few thousand customers as a test group. And then in parallel, we are building out the scalable solution that we are then launching to the larger customer base. So as you step out on the balcony and you look across all that you've built with Picnic, what are you most proud of? It's a pretty cool question. And uh, we, I have asked this myself. But on the other hand, this is also a bit like uh, rating, uh, rating your child and, uh, and scoring uh, your favorite child. There are many, many topics that we tackled across our road. And the one thing what has formed us as a team and what makes us very happy is that we started with a very small team with just a vision that we wanted to tackle an unsolved problem, the last mile food delivery problem in a radically new way. And that this team built up a tech stack and an operational stack that could not only work in a small city where we started, but also at the full scale where we are operating now. If you're zooming in into some of the tech topics uh, that we have tackled in the way that were pretty impressive is that we went along the journey from a system where we built purely on a spreadsheet some very simple rules that we later built in Java or Python as the first version of a product up to the state where we are having now for essentially all products a feedback loop that goes from the product itself to the ops team to the data warehouse back to the product itself to have a self-learning and self-improvement uh, cycle for a large set of all our business features. And this is something which some people call it machine learning and deep learning or AI. This is probably the essential piece that uh, will help us also in the future to focus on uh, developments of new features while the optimization of the existing features is only driven and only dependent on the size of operation that we are running now. So this is probably the essential piece that we are happy about the uh, architectural setup that we have chosen so far. So let's flip the script a little bit. 
Tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. So in such a journey, you do a lot of mistakes. One thing what you're looking for and what you're looking out for is that you're not making fatal mistakes. And even if you make mistakes that are drastic, that you find a fast way, an early way to correct them. So one of the things what we learned on our way are said when we are aligning our tech priorities and our tech roadmaps with the business side, that we need to look very careful what are hard deadlines and what are soft deadlines. An example for this is if you're launching in a new country, if you're launching in new cities, you have hard deadlines for the simple reason that you have agreements with media agencies, you have agreements with advertisements, you have agreements with suppliers. So if you have this kind of fixed agreement on the timeline, if you have uh, fixed expectations on the quality, then the only variable in your uh, tech game is uh, the scope. And if the scope itself is also defined because you want to launch in a new country and you don't want to regress on your existing features, then you are in a pretty uh, pretty difficult situation if you're running low on, uh, on low on time, low on resources. So our learnings here is that at least one of the uh, three angles, so time, resources, quality, you want to open up and you want to keep flexible on. One thing what we learned in our journey is quality is something you can never debate about, meaning we are monitoring very carefully on a week by week basis with uh, detailed reports, our uh, technical depth, our code coverage by unit tests, but also component tests, integration tests. So this is something we don't want to regress at all. So the only two angles that we can take in such an, any development project is ease of scope or uh, the development timeline. And that is something what we very actively communicate now to business teams based on our past experience, that these are the only two variables that we can take into account. And uh, based on those decisions with the business teams, we either decide if we are adjusting the scope, if the timeline is fixed, or that we are uh, becoming more flexible on the timeline and all discuss about uh, different uh, rollout approaches. It makes sense. Sounds like a a classic project management problem there. Tell me what the future looks like for Picnic, for the product, and for your team. A very early stage of our journey. What we have built so far is a service that customers love, but we know that with building a, a service where you're seeing each customer at least once per week, and you have a penetration that you see a large part of every single street in every city, which is very high, then there are so much possibilities that come beyond food, beyond the logistical service that we're offering now, that we are very, very, very happy to look forward to, uh, to the future opportunities. On the short term, what we're working on now and what uh, gives us a lot of energy is that the fulfillment operation, meaning the warehouse order picking and replenishment and uh, receiving operation, we are now step-by-step step automating. So we're, we are building an uh, fully robotized automated warehouse, which includes robots, conveyor belts, and a lot of automated components uh, that need to have local control components, but also cloud-based steering components, which is something that we are now building up, which is one of the classical cases of edge computing, where you have very interesting and hard problems to solve on the decision, what do you locally compute and what do you compute in the cloud? So for if you have various robots in a warehouse, you need to decide, can a robot by itself decide what is the next step to do? Or is it something what from a central control unit needs to be steered? 
So these are very, very interesting, uh, interesting uh, problems to solve, which are similar to uh, problems of autonomous drones or autonomous driving, but now in a warehousing environment. Let's flip back to you, Daniel. Who influences the way that you work? A CEO, CTO, architect, or any person, really. Name a person you look up to and why. There are probably two groups that I find uh, that influence me on a daily basis, but also on a longer horizon. These are on the one hand the peers on our board level, on the executive level. So this is the CEO, this is the CEO, all those executives that help uh, to define uh, the prioritization, not only for the tech, but for the entire business on the operational side, on the commercial side, on many angles. On the product team structure, we are looking into uh, an organizational setup where we can uh, keep the teams as much as possible autonomous and not building a heavy middle management structure, but still have a clear means to steer the teams based on a company-wide objectives. And this is something where we see now with a little bit more than 100 engineers that all teams need a little bit more steering than just uh, full autonomy. But on the other hand, we don't want to build immediately up a full-blown uh, middle management uh, layer. And the means of OKRs, company-wide objectives, but also a shared vision of what do we do, not only in three months' time, but what do we do in three years' time? Or what is the long-term goal in 10 years' time? This is something what helps the teams to define for themselves all this kind of short, mid, and long-term roadmaps. Great answer. If you could go back to the beginning, when you started Picnic, what would you do differently? Or what would you consider taking a different approach on? many things that you learn along the way that you would do different but it doesn't make so much sense to reflect about the stuff that you would do different after you know all the stuff that you know exposed what i find much more meaningful is to ask the stuff what should you have done faster because the only real thing if you do if you make your decisions based on the best knowledge that you have at this point in time the only thing what you can do is prioritization or how fast you execute things. And there are certainly things that I would have loved to do a little bit faster. So one thing what is very close to my heart is moving into a purely data-driven engineering, but also data-driven operational approach is something what I would have loved to do a little bit faster. Moving into machine learning and deep learning, I would have loved to do a bit faster. For the simple reason is that we see now the real benefit of what what it means to have this feedback loop in real time, but also more on a batch basis uh, if you have feedback from your data warehouse into your operation systems for all the metrics. This self-learning loop for logistics, but also for the warehouse management, for the purchasing is a game changer for every business that is running uh, at scale as we do here in logistics. Last question, Daniel. You're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who has built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They're super excited to show you their product. They really think it's going to make an impact on the world. What advice do you give that person having gone down this road a bit? The first advice I would give him is ask people for advice. Get feedback, but whatever feedback you take or you get, take it with a healthy grain of salt. You will have a lot of uh, people that will encourage you, but don't really understand what you're doing. And you will have naysayers, which just are jealous about what you're working on. So you need to form yourself an opinion and a vision on where do you want to go and then stick to it. 
This is one angle that what I would uh, share with them. The other angle is don't be uh, for too long, too stubborn on what you are working on. Is the change, if you need to make a change, a course correction, then be also open to this, of this feedback to yourself that you need to maybe adjust something in the model that you need to, uh, that you're working on the tech or the product vision that you have. In this sense, it is a kind of a healthy balance between on the one hand uh, being a little bit of stubborn, but on the other hand, not being too stubborn and being humble to also take feedback uh, from uh, people around you. That is probably the most important thing. If you find a healthy balance here, then uh, it is only a matter of time until you will be successful. That's great advice. Well, Daniel, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for telling the product creation story of Picnic. Thanks for having me. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Labhart. Season two episodes are co-produced and edited by Bradley Denham. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. Support the show on patreon.com slash code story for just five to 10 bucks a month. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening. <laughs>